0: It's changed. I used to have nice uh, brown hair. As I arrived in the airport at, uh, at Hartford and expecting to find Joey, my thought was, do I look for a young man with black hair and a broad smile, or do I look for a man who's gone gray um, and still has a smile but slightly matured? And um, I was shocked to meet Joey, who looks exactly the same. As he did in seminary. And I was also shocked that he recognized me. And his first statement was, you haven't changed a bit. And then he stopped and said, "Except the color of your hair. So um, it, was, uh, it, it was a joy, actually, to be here this weekend. And uh, you guys are, the hospitality, the love, um, the care, the provision you've made for me has been amazing. Joey and Trish, you are your amazing hosts. So thank you. Um, thank you for blessing me in the time we've been here. I've just loved getting to know some of the men and to hear uh, stories of God's grace as we've just sung about. It is amazing grace. And to hear how God has drawn uh, each and every one of us to Himself. Different ways, different, uh, different avenues, if you like, but always through the gospel uh, that we have given to us through the apostles, the, the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And it's always amazing grace, isn't it? It's always amazing to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to understand who He is, that He's not just a good man that came and set an example for us, but that He is indeed, as Hebrews says, the Son of God. And that God has spoken to Him as the one who is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. And when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so to know him is is a wonderful thing. But as we get saved and we begin the Christian life, I'm sure you would all agree that living the Christian life is difficult, it can be challenging. It can be exacting. It can cause us to fall on our knees and cry out to God. It can cause us to ask many questions. Why, Lord, why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? Well, I mean, we know on one hand, and we we comfort ourselves with this, that Jesus is the one who has done all the work that needs to be done for our salvation. He is, after all, the author of, and the perfecter of our faith, amen? So he's secured us. So we know that on the one hand, but on, on the other hand, we also know this daily struggle to think and to speak and to act in such a way that our lives adorn the gospel. This is a struggle. And with this daily struggle, there are many dangers. I kind of see the Christian life as like climbing up a mountain path, a steep mountain path. And there are many dangers that we need to be aware of. And it's a responsibility of the elders of this church, uh, as of any church, to make believers aware of those dangers and to provide encouragement to greater endurance and to fight the good fight of the faith. That's the responsibility as elders shepherd you, is to speak to the dangers and to encourage you to fight the good fight of the faith. And my goal in this message this morning is to point you out, to point you to know how you can run the race of faith with endurance, and that you that will bring you across the finish line that God has set for you. The unknown pastor who penned the words of Hebrews, and if you've got your Bible, turn there, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three is the focus of this morning. But this unknown pastor who penned the sermonic letter did a phenomenal job of both warning and encouragement. He was a good pastor, a good elder. And he's writing to first century Jewish Christians who are facing insurmountable difficulties as they walk the walk of faith, as they follow Yeshua. Hamashiach, their Messiah. Now, for a brief brief backdrop before we jump into this text, let me point out to you that this letter, on the danger side, highlights five impending dangers that the author here wants to warn his readers of. The first is the danger of drifting from the gospel. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard Lest we drift away from it, that's a warning. For since this message is declared by angels, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? He's speaking to Christians here. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The second danger is found in Hebrews three verses twelve through thirteen, and it's the danger. Of disbelief and and the deceitfulness of sin. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you and any of you an an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's a third danger he mentions it's the danger of disobedience. Chapter 4, verse 11, Let us therefore strive, he says, to enter that rest, the rest that Christ has provided, so that no one may fall by the same same sort of disobedience. Speaking of the generation of Israel who fell in the desert. There's a fourth danger, and it's the danger of spiritual dullness or immaturity. Chapter 5, verse 11, he says... He says, This we have much to say about Jesus' high priestly ministry, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull in hearing. For it's impossible in the case of those who, having been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own, own harm and holding him up to contempt there's a fifth danger it's the danger of despising truth becoming an apostate chapter 10 of verse 26 and 31 he says if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 31, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now with these warnings, it's obvious that we face Serious dangers, serious dangers to the Christian life, serious dangers to how we live and how we walk in this world. We have but a short time here. Our lives are but a vapor, and we are called as believers to walk by faith. And this brings us to our passage today. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3 we read this, read along with me. And I want this passage to be a motivation to you. I want you to be inspired by the exhortations of God's word here, because there is an exhortation. This is the end of the letter. If you haven't read the rest of the letter, read it. It's worth reading. But this is the exhortation of this author. He writes to these dear Christian saints, and he says, therefore, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just join me as a, as we go to the Lord here in prayer, ask for His help, Father. Oh, we need Your Spirit this morning to work in us, to illuminate to us the meaning of this text. You have given it to us to encourage us, to inspire us, to direct us to motivate us to live out this life of faith. And so, God, would you speak to every heart this morning? Maybe some this morning need to enter into this race and come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Speak, I pray, Lord, to their hearts. And for those of us who are in the race, those of us who maybe are weary and tired and even questioning why we name the name of Christ, why we say that we are followers of Him. Father, may You lift us up. May You strengthen us. And may You direct us, we pray, for Jesus' sake and for the building of Your church. Amen. Well, in this text that we've just read, the Christian life of faith is likened to a race. It's a common metaphor, isn't it, throughout the New Testament. First Corinthians 9.24, the Apostle Paul states, run in such a way that you may win. He's referring to himself. Run in such a way that he may win. In Philippians 2.16, he also uses this metaphor, and he says, he said he did not want to run in vain the Christian life. In 2 Timothy 4.7, at the end of his life, he said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. However, there's no clearer picture. There's no clearer picture of the Christian life being a race than this one in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. The writer here skillfully paints the Christian life into a picture of a long-distance popular race in the Isthmian Games or the Olympic Games of his time. The main verb in this section, in this passage, is run with endurance. Endurance something he's already called for of these believers. Back in Hebrews 10 and verse 36, he says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Well, what is it that we are to run? The race that sits before us. That's what we're to run, the race that's set before us. It's the race of faith. We've just spent uh, with the men and those who came on Uh, Friday night, we, we just spent all of that time talking about what it means to live by faith. We know we're saved by grace through faith. Now we need to live that faith out. We need to be sanctified by the process of God's grace through faith. Who is the runner in this race? The runner's you. You're the runners. I'm the coach this morning, just for a change. I'll be the coach. You're the runners. And when I say I'm the coach, I mean I'm the coach in the sense that I'm giving you what Jesus says you're to do. I'm calling the lines. I'm not on the stage. You're on the stage. This is is you living your life out on the stage of life, walking by faith, and my responsibility is to call out the lines to help you remember how to live that life. Well, we're to run. Christianity, therefore, is not a, passive life. It's not a passive life. It's not a life where we sit around and watch the world go by. We're to be active for Christ. And the imagery here is of a runner who has run to such a degree that he's feeling every part of his body straining, and he's to persevere and endure, pressing forward to the finish line, not letting anything distract him but focusing on that finish line. And your faith as a believer is seen in the persistent daily outworking of trusting in a God who, is never, who you've never seen, but you are fully convinced exists and that he will reward you. And it's through this faith and God's grace that salvation is run and completed as we're brought into his glory. So let's dive into the text, where we will see this morning, in this short text here, five ways to run this race with endurance. Five distinct ways we will run this race with endurance. The first is so clear. It is, listen to the winners. Who are the winners? Well, the word, therefore, points us back to a list of people of faith in chapter 11. These ones listed in chapter 11 are a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And the word "since" means that it's not some figment of our imagination. They are actually real people. The author isn't making these people up. There really was an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There really was a Daniel. There really was a Gideon. These people lived and they walked in this world. And in this hall of faith, we, we could call this hall of faith a, a kind of a list of Christian heroes. Like, like the heroes in a baseball game or you, know, you get those cards and people collect them. And, the, and they watch them and they follow them. And in a way, we're to do the same. Not to show off. Not at all. These men are not being set up to some kind of showing off about how good they are, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets and all the people are a testimony of faith. Now listen to this, listen carefully. The fact that the life of faith is possible and worth living is what we glean from these people. The life of faith is actually possible, and it's worth living. That's what we're to glean. These Old Testament saints are pictured here, not as passive observers sitting in some stadium watching you run the race. Rather, they are those who've already run the race of faith, and now they give testimony through their faith of the reality and the evidence the reality and the evidence, if you like, of things not seen that we too can run and win this race. I went over this, I think, on Friday night where if you look back at chapter 11, verse one, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. These people that I've just listed Well, this author's listed in chapter 11, give testimony to that. It's worth living this life, no matter what the issue is. And each one models, each one of these people model a deep, life-transforming trust in the promises that God has made concerning the Messiah, who we now know, as they did, is Jesus of Nazareth. And even though chapter 11 tells us that they did not receive what was promised in this life, yet they continued to trust him by faith, trusting God that they would receive every promise made to them. And it's that faith, we're told, it's that kind of faith that lives out. Uh, that, that sees the eternal and lives life in light of the eternal rather than the temporal that gains approval from God. They didn't shrink back. They believed God. They moved forward against impossible odds, even death. They trusted in the one who preserves their souls until the day of redemption. They are likened to a cloud here because there's an innumerable number of them. I mean, if the author of Hebrews had, had been able to go back and transport himself back into the time of, of history and find every person of faith, he would have been writing right to this present day. There's an innumerable number of people, and he highlights the key people from Genesis, from Exodus, and throughout Scripture. When you know that people just like you can live the life of faith, and experience the approval of God, it should cause you to endure and be more persistent and confident in living by faith rather than by sight. This is not mere academics. It's intensely practical. I mean, think of your own life. Think about how hard it is to trust God completely with the many decisions and choices you have to make every day of your life. You know, we often say, yeah, we trust God. But then five minutes later, we're put in a situation where we lie. Why do we lie? Well, because we fear. Fear what? Fear man rather than God. Our trust in God is often seen to be very small or weak. It's easy to say, I I trust God. But our actions often betray us, don't they? Fear and doubt and disbelief rule, often rule, our decisions. So what's the implication? What's the implication of this great cloud of witnesses? Well, the implication is you should listen to their testimony. They live by faith. They trusted in God. And you should listen to that and gain confidence in that. They lived by faith in a coming Messiah, and He's now come. And we likewise must believe in Him and run the race with endurance. And when you find it difficult to live by faith in the promises of God, stop and think about some of the difficulties these people faced. Let me ask you this question. as, as kind of an application to your life on, on this point. We should listen to the winners. What are you currently lacking confidence in? Write it down what voice are you listening to other than God's at this point in time? Because you don't quite trust God in this moment. Write it down. And if there's an example in someone in Hebrews 11, look at it, find it, and overcome this fear or this doubt or this questioning by trusting in the promises of God. Imitate these people. And so firstly, if we're to run confidently in this race, we must listen to those who've gone before. Secondly, a second way to run the race of faith with endurance is we need to lose entangling weights. Look at verse, the second part of verse one. He writes, let us also lay aside, lay aside what? Every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. In the ancient Greek games, the runners would strip off and run naked in order to reach maximum speed, uncumbered or hindered by anything, even clothing. I mean, can you imagine Hussein Bolt turning up to the starting blocks in jeans, a full-length peacoat, a hat, a backpack full of sodas and Twinkies to eat as he's going down the 100-yard dash? No, that's just crazy. That's stupid but that's not the way it is. If you're running a race, you want to get rid of these entangling weights. And the text mentions two of them. The first is encumbrances. What are these encumbrances? Well, these are weights that are not intrinsically sinful, but they hinder us. You say that again, encumbrances are weights that are not intrinsically sinful, but they hinder us. Let me give you some examples. You could be right now in an unhealthy relationship or you could have unhealthy relationship expectations. Uh, You could be the kind of person that right now you're living your life trying to please everybody, especially family. I've learned a long time ago, you can't please everybody. You just can. not It's the wrong focus, isn't it? Who are we to please? God. We're to please God. We're to look to Him. We're to live our lives before the audience of one. What really matters is the praise of God, the blessing of God, the pleasure of God in your life, the presence of God in your life. That's what matters. Even good things like family can become idols of our heart, can't they? I mean, I love my wife, and my wife loves me, but she reminds me from time to time, honey, my first love is Christ. I will not follow you in disobedience. I will not sin. It's a good reminder. God should not take second place in your life, dear friend. We're to do all We're to do all we do for what? For the glory of God. Everything. There's another encumbrance. Maybe this is true of your life. Time-consuming media and entertainment. For the old folks, newspapers, magazines. For the newer, the kind of the mid-range people here, TV. Radio, maybe. Some movies, the theater, listening to music. For the younger people, and some oldies as well, the internet, YouTube, playing games, social media. Do you know the daily screen time on your phones alone in America averages out at 5.4 hours a day? When I read that, I went, are you kidding me? That the average is 5.4 hours a day on screen time between TVs, iPhones, cell phones, whatever you want to call them. I couldn't believe it. Did you know what that adds up to? In 2023, that adds up to 1.6 trillion hours. Now, Of course, not everything we do on screens and TVs is wrong or unnecessary, or an encumbrance. I'm just saying to you, you gotta figure what this is. For some of you, it is an encumbrance. You can't live without it. How much time do you spend in your life invested in things that are hindering you, stumbling you from running the race of faith? Maybe a media love fest is crippling you, and crippling and stumbling your feet from running this race. Or how about this? Here's another encumbrance. Worldly work goals. Worldly work goals. Now work's good. God calls us to work. If you don't work, you shouldn't what? Say it. Eat. If you don't work, you should not eat. Good. Young people at home, if you're lazy. Change that. Be a worker in the home. Those of you who are out looking for a job, you should be looking for a job. If you're out of a job right now, you shouldn't be at home twiddling your thumbs, playing, playing games. You should be looking for a job. It's your call to work. God made us to work. He gave us the abilities to work. And we should work to the level of the abilities given us. But we can become so consumed with our work and so committed at being successful that we forget the one who's sovereign and who makes one man rich and another man poor. It's it's the sovereign God who gives and who takes away. Blessed be His name. We are to instead seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus said, and all these concerns of clothing and food and a place to rest will be given to you. Huh. Fourthly, maybe here's another encumbrance that's true of your life. The pursuit of life's pleasures. The pursuit of life's pleasures. Both hobbies and sports can fill our minds in time so there's little room left to spend time in the presence of God, as it were, in His Word, studying, knowing Him. No, no time to go and do what He's called us to do. Well, I'm too busy to serve in the church. I'm too busy to teach a Sunday school class. I'm too busy to run a home group. Are you too busy? You know, one of my elders back at Heckman, he said the, the acronym for busy is being under Satan's yoke. <laughs> I like it. Too busy. You know, serious athletes make the race their priority and they have no time for junk food, no time for entertainment, no time for pleasure seeking, no time to play games. And they do all of that getting up at 4 and 5 a.m. in the morning every day and they do all of that for a perishable prize, a little medal that they hang on the wall. How much more, then, should we remove the encumbrances from our lives when we consider that we're running a race not with a perishable prize at the end, but an imperishable prize, an eternal prize, an eternal glory, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, reserved for you, dear runner, for you. Well, there's another entanglement, not just encumbrances, but this other entanglement he mentions here is sin. The writer doesn't say the sins, notice that, that so easily entangle us. It's not plural. He says the sin, singular. And I think the sin he has in mind is the sin of unbelief. Because all sins entangle us, but the dominant sin behind every other sin we commit is unbelief. It's a lack of trust in God and His promises, which is really a form of pride. And so you say the root of sin is pride, but pride manifests itself in unbelief at some level so that we choose rather to do what our flesh wants to do or to do what the world's calling us to do rather than to do what God says we should do. We would rather believe in ourselves and our own Thinking, instead of a God who's revealed truth to us. You know, I know in a room like this, there's some really intelligent people. I'm not one of them. I'm a very average guy. Joey probably got, you know, 4.0. I think I, think I struggled just to get anywhere near there. I'm an average guy. You're really, some of you are really intelligent. But listen to this. Knowledge Knowledge is of no help to you if that knowledge is not given to you, firstly, by God, and secondly, trusted in. The wise man in life is the man who receives the instruction of God and then applies it. The wise mother is the one who heeds the words of God and applies it in nurturing her children. The wise wife is the one who heeds the word of God and submits her life willingly and freely and gladly to the role God has called her to in being a helper to her husband. The wise husband is the one who heeds the word of God and loves his wife as Christ loved the church. Praise the Lord, brother. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Because when we don't heed the word of God, And I mean by heed more than hear. I mean obey it. When we don't act in faith upon it, even though we don't necessarily see where it's going, we just act upon it. When we don't do that, we are walking in unbelief. What's really interesting, I think James says it, that anything we do that's not of faith is sin. (laughs) Wow. Anything we do that's not of faith and sometimes we just get going in the motion of life and we're not committing the day to the Lord. We get up, we go, we have our breakfast, we stick on our nice face and, and our clothes and we head off out into life and we get into the day and we're, we're kind of heading up to lunchtime and nothing has gone well for us. And we're facing a difficult afternoon and then we stop and we go, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't commit this day to you i found that when I fail to commit my day to God, all manner of things start happening. All manner of entanglements, stumbling, struggling. When God says do not lie, do not steal, do not covet, do not lust, do not murder, He's not simply taking away something from our lives, but He is directing you and me to the most positive, fulfilling life you can ever have, and that's a life of trusting in Him. We are to love we are to speak the truth in love. We are to forgive and bless others with, and to give grace and to meet the needs of others. We are to be content with what we have in this life. We are to think and act with purity and be patient. These are all gifts that God gives us and that He longs to pour out in our lives for us to experience to the fullness and yet the only way to receive that is through faith. Jesus said, I have come and come to give your life to the full, don't believe the lie of Satan, that God's holding back on you. He's not holding back. He wants you to believe him. Now, in contrast to faith, unbelief focuses on things we can see. Faith focuses on things that are eternal you cannot see. You say, well, how does unbelief work? Well, unbelief belongs to the natural mind, not the mind of Christ. In Romans 14.3, it says that whatever is not of faith is sin. Ah, there's the verse I was thinking of. Romans 14, not James. Romans 14.3. Maybe you didn't go on that short-term missions trip. Maybe you didn't speak to that person at your work that you were prompted to speak to. Maybe you didn't cook that cake and take it to your neighbor as an act of love. Maybe you didn't. You fill in the blank. Because you look to the limitations of your bank balance. Or the limitations of your time? Or the limitations of your natural abilities? Maybe you didn't give like you should give this morning because you love the security of funds in the bank. What's the issue in that? The issue is you're not trusting God. Unbelief doesn't trust God. It looks to the natural mind rather than trusting and having in the mind of putting on the mind of Christ. Secondly, unbelief is behind every worldly ideology. Paul calls these doctrines of demons or vain philosophies that they get you spinning your wheels but they don't advance you in the race of faith. And Paul warns the Corinthians. He says, "I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Underline that in your Bibles. Could you say, my life is characterized by the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ? Or are you spinning your wills chasing this dream and chasing that dream and following this worldly ideology? And are you spending all your time and your mind trying to rationalize everything and figure everything out. Listen, you can't do that. You don't have the ability to do that. The God who created this world is infinite, you're finite. Your finite mind cannot wrestle and bring the Almighty inside the, its own confines. That's impossible. It's meant to be the other way around. God is calling you to repent of your sin and to turn from your finiteness and to trust in His infinite wisdom and to trust in His His infinite redemption and to move forward in the power of the Spirit. So we're to lay aside sin. We're to practice the, 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 the crucifixion of the sin in our life every day. Every day, Romans 6, 11 through 13, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members, that's your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your brain, every part of you as instruments of righteousness to God. We are to set our minds on things above. Why? Because we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're not citizens of this world. We've forsaken that. The God of this world, Satan, used to be our father. He's no longer our father. He used to be our director. He's no longer our director. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we now walk in the light. Therefore, as children of the light, we must pursue that pathway. And we eagerly wait, do we not, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this verse because so many many people want to tell you Jesus has already come back. He's already come back. No, we are eagerly waiting for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body, the physical body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Let me ask you this question. What is it you struggle to believe? What aspect of pride do you need this morning to kill so you can place your trust more fully in God? Write it down. Write it down. Put it in the margin of your Bible, in the back of your Bible, or on, the, on the newsletter. Write it down and choose each day for the next 30 days of your life to say, I'm dead to this sin. Whatever, whatever it is that you, you, you're sinning in, confess it to God. Consider yourself dead to it and in its place choose to do something that honors and glorifies God, something that's right. And then what you will experience is the weight of sin lifted off your shoulders and a freedom to serve Christ. You just will. Your mind will expand. Your heart will expand. Your desires will expand. And you'll want to run this race more fully. Well, there's a third way to run the race, and my time's running quickly out here, but let me give you these. Run with endurance. Look at verse third part of verse one, and let us what? Run, how? With endurance, the race that sits before us. In other words, this race isn't a sprint. It is a long distance race. This is the picture here. Run and keep on running is the idea. It's a present tense active verb. Run, keep on running. Don't give up. And by the way, this isn't a call to walk by faith although we are, this is a call to run. There's some exertion here. This isn't a fun run where you can run for a few steps and stop and walk and catch your breath and run again. No, this is a, this is a run. This is a marathon. There's, there's to be exertion and seriousness in all that you do. Second, this idea of running with endurance literally means carry your own load. Don't expect everybody else to help you run this race. Grow up, mature in this race, carry your own load. Every marathon runner knows that he must by himself discipline his thoughts and must endure the pains and the suffering in order to become successful in running this race. You know, it's it's funny, I remember years ago, I think it was was Chuck Swindle, when I was just becoming a Christian, I was reading some Chuck Swindle stuff and it was helping me think through the disciplines of the Christian life. And he made the point that, you know, we love watching athletes do incredible things. We love watching musicians do incredible things. And we think to ourselves, wow, isn't that awesome? You know, because why do we do that? Because we know if we tried that, it would fail miserably. Or we know there's no way in the world we could do that. And we, we lift these people up in our society. We hold them in high esteem and we honor them. But how many of us stop and think about the hours and hours of suffering they put themselves through to become as good as they are? How many of us stop to think about the pain that they endured? We don't. And we live in a society, that's a pleasure-seeking society, so anything that has discipline in it, eh, don't want that, I'm looking for the next buzz, the next joy, the next pleasure. But every marathon runner knows he must discipline his thoughts and his pains and press on, and every Christian needs to know the same thing. And this race, by the way, is not run in our strength, but it's run in the power of God. And Isaiah puts it this way, he says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases their strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and even young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. I love that verse. I know you love that verse. And the call in this passage is let's live that verse. So what is it that you need to endure rather than run from? Is there a difficult family relationship? Difficult member, a difficult spouse. You're trying to get out of an oppressive workplace. Are you are you running from your own physical limitations? Whatever it is, write it down. Put it on that list. I'm calling you to write it down. Write it down. Begin to pray and begin to wait on the Lord and draw strength from God to persevere in whatever that weakness or struggle is, so that you might overcome that. And so. Winners, we're to listen to the winners. We're to lose entangling wakes. We're to, we're to run with endurance. But there's a fourth thing here. Look at verse 2. We're to focus on the finish line. The race of faith is not, a win, is not to win salvation. That's not the issue here. You already have it. These people already are saved. But, but what are they running for? What are they pursuing? What, what's the purpose of this race? What's the finish line? Well, the writer makes it clear, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to focus on Him. We're to live for Christ. We're to glory in Christ. We're to magnify Christ. We're to exalt Christ. We're to remember Christ. We're going to do that shortly. And the the elements of the bread and the wine, we're to to do all of these things. We're to live Christ-centered lives. He's our treasure. He's our glory, He's our hope, He's our reason existence for living. And the more we are conformed to the likeness of Christ, the greater Christ's likeness is reflected through us to the glory of God. You know, in the ancient games, the athlete who won would get to sit with, with royal, the royalty of the time. He would be taken up and sat in the highest place in the stands next to the king. You could be an absolute commoner You could even be a slave, unknown before the race, and then after the race, if you won it, you would become a household name, because you get to sit with the emperor or the king. Well, friends, you're sitting with the king. You've been made to sit with him in the heavenly places. There's a day coming, if we run this race well, we'll hear those words, well done, our good and faithful servant. Jesus is to be the magnet to our souls. He's to be the driving force of our emotions. He's to be the one who's, who's categorizing and directing our lives and, and the goals that we set and the, and the decisions that we make. He's our ultimate prize to live for Christ, to glory in Christ. He's our ultimate prize and it's to be our prize here on earth. And if He's not our prize on earth, do you think that you really want to go to heaven? Because in heaven, heaven is defined by the glory of Christ. Why would you want to go there if it's not the passion and desire of your heart now? I can't believe this. I just can't believe. I read the scriptures and I think, I'm going to get to sit with Him in heavenly places forever? To know Him? Wow. So... Let's run with Jesus. The goal each day must be to say, I've lived today by faith for no other reason than the supreme value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I've lived as he lived, who for the joy set before him, Jesus, endured the cross, despised the shame. I've lived that way. In the future, there is laid up for me a compelling joy. And so we can say that the strength of our race is directly related to the preoccupation of our our minds and our hearts and our life with Jesus Christ. So ask yourself this question. What's distracting you from Him? Like, what is it in your life right now that's distracting you from focusing on Him, the finish line, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? What's, What's distracting you from that? Write it down and begin to plan the next day with him in the picture. And lastly, the final way we can win the race of faith is is consider him, consider the perfect runner. Verse three, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's so easy to get weary in the race. It's easy to lose heart. That's why we need one another. You need to be a part of this church. You need to be involved in this church. If you're not in a home group, get in a home group. If you're not here for Sunday morning uh, to be taught the Word of God, get here Sunday morning to be taught the Word of God. Have genuine fellowship around the Word. Speak the Word. Commune the Word. Encourage each other with the Word. Pray the Word. Be involved in each other's lives. It's getting harder to live life as a believer. And we need, to, we need to encourage one another and all the more as we see the evil day approaching. Remember Jesus. He lived for the Father's will. He did what the Father asked Him to do and nothing else. He spoke what the Father called Him to say and said nothing else. But think of what He endured. He left infinite glory for absolute poverty. He left kingship for bond slavery. He left peace and love for hatred and hostility and a cruel cross. As creator and sustainer of sinful men, He humbly submitted Himself the hostilities of these men. He endured beatings and threats on his life, denials, mockery, slander, reviling, as a sheep before its shearer is silent. And so he did not open his mouth and he endured a Roman crucifixion. The crucifixions were for common criminals. He bore the greatest shame. He bore the greatest reproach, the greatest indignity, the greatest hostility, and yet he stood firm in faith and kept entrusting himself to his Father, even when he bore the full weight of feeling forsaken by men and even by the Father himself. My question this morning is, do you know him? Do you know him? Have you come to know this Jesus, the one who's the heir of all things, the radiance of God's glory, the eternal Son? The one who became a man and gave his life as a ransom for you to buy you out of the slave market of your sin. Have you received him? Have you bent the knee? Have you surrendered to him? He paid a price and the price wasn't for his sin. It was for yours and mine. And he alone can save you. There is salvation in no other name and no one else for there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Already quoted this morning. The outcome of this life and death death for us was that God would highly exalt him and give him a name above every name. So let me ask you these questions in closing. Are you drifting? Consider Jesus. Are you discouraged? Consider Jesus. Are you distracted? Consider Jesus. Are you doubting? Consider Jesus. Consider him. Are you disbelieving? Consider Jesus. Then and only then will you gain approval of God and not grow weary and lose heart. I trust the word of God has stimulated your spirit, your soul, to run the race with endurance that has been set before you. Join me in prayer. Father, oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its exhortation this morning. Thank you that your word is living and powerful and active and that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Father, help us not just shut it out. Help us to embrace it this morning. Help us to heed this word, to hear this word, to love you, to honor you, to worship you. And as we come now to a time of, of remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and the cost of our salvation, Father, I pray Lord God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to renew our commitment to run this race. Help us to confess any sin in our lives that we have not yet confessed. Help us to be genuine and real before you this morning and say, God, we, we need you. I, I need you. I need you to guide me and lead me and grow me and strengthen me. I, I, need, I need to fix my eyes on you and grow my understanding of who you are. Oh, Father, would you, would you remind us Would you remind us as we take these emblems of bread and as we take this cup, would you remind us of the great sacrifice Jesus made as he ran his race in order that he might become our Savior, our Lord, our great high priest. Father, bless this time and may we praise you. May we thank you. May we glorify you in this time now together from our own hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.